Hey everyone, it's Andrea. Today, Sharice reveals her Christmas wish list. I give you a sneak peek into my bedtime routine, and we ask the question, what would you do with Kevin's unlimited powers? Hang out with us. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. Hey, I'm your co-host, Andrea. Sharice, today we are talking season three, episode three, The Survivors, but I would like to start a petition to rename it Heartbreak Hotel because it's so <laughs> effing sad. So yeah, that sad. kind of reminds me of the Royale though and makes me never want to yes, watch it. So yeah, I, I hear you though. I hear you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, this episode was written by Ma- Michael Wagner and directed by Les Landau. Now, Michael Wagner was brought on as a new writer um, to replace Maurice Hurley for season three, but he kind of pulled the escape hatch and left very, very quickly. <laughs> but I'm really, really glad that he left after he wrote this episode because after rewatching it, it just hit me in my gut in like all the hardest ways. And I was so glad that he gave us this episode before he left. Mm-hmm. So here's the plot of the survivors for those who are watching with us. It's Stardate 43152.4. The Enterprise responds to a distress call from a Federation colony on Delta Rana 4 and discovers the planet to be devastated and devoid of life, save for a patch of land containing a house and vegetation. Transporting to the surface, the away team meets the human occupants of the house, Kevin and Rishon Uxbridge, who claim to have witnessed the attack that destroyed the colony, but are unaware that they are the only survivors. Bum, bum, bum. Yes. Sharice, do you have any initial thoughts on this episode? Yes. And and I'm so excited to dive in beat by beat. But overall, Mm -hmm. I really liked this episode. It was so interesting. It was so mysterious. And you're just like, but what's going on? And obviously, I've seen this episode a bajillion times. So I know what's going on. But I just Mm -hmm. enjoyed the ride. You know, I was pretending as if I had never seen it before. And I was like, what would people make of this? What is the Enterprise crew making of this situation right now? I really enjoyed it. How about you? Uh, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, One, I had such a hard time taking notes to review this episode because like you, I've seen this episode a million times, but I kept getting sucked into the story and then realizing Mm -hmm. I had watched like 15 minutes at a time without like pausing to jot down any notes. So that just Mm -hmm. tells us like, how beautiful and amazing the storytelling is in this episode that even having watched it a bunch of times, you still get sucked in. Um, Yeah. I really loved it. I loved this episode. I thought it was um, the, the reveal, which happens at the end is, is done like so delicately and Mm -hmm. in such a like masterfully timed way that it's like these little layers are kind of starting to fall away where at first it's like, that's weird. Huh? That's wait a minute wait, something suspect, wait a minute. And then when Mm -hmm. you get the final reveal, it's like, oh my God. Yeah. So I thought it was, I just thought it was beautifully done. Um, So let's just jump right in. So as the episode opens, the Enterprise is cautiously entering the Delta Rana system to search for survivors because there was an emergency distress signal um, and potentially engage with a hostile force. So you see everyone on the bridge. I love that as Picard is walking to the view screen, we see behind him that his bridge is fully staffed. We've got Riker, we've got Troy, Dr. Crusher is there in her little bench mm-hmm. seat. Like she doesn't deserve mm-hmm. a real seat, but she gets a little bench seat. Like she's in there too. She should um, probably be in sick bay. I don't know, but whatever. Probably, she's right? there on the bridge. That's <laughs> During what I was battle stations. <laughs> I was like, Bev, I love seeing you on the bridge. I really do. I love seeing you sit in the little like seat next to Troy. 
I, I love it. But maybe if you're responding to an emergency distress and there's 11,000 colonists under attack, maybe you ought to be like stocking up and checking mm-hmm. and triple checking your inventory in sick bay. I'm just getting saying. some med kits together or whatever, you know, like you usually do in a disaster. Put on, getting your, put cruise, on your blue but- lab coat, put on your blue lab coat, girl. It's time to get to work. <laughs> That's what I thought too. Um, Ooh, quick little catch. This is the first episode that Deanna Troy wears her turquoise uniform, which she continues to wear on a rotating basis Mm -hmm. um, until season six, when she starts wearing a regulation uniform. So this is the first time we see her in the turquoise like dressed, which Mm -hmm. I used to like hate, but now I kind of love on her. I'm like, you know, you're wearing a dress. It has a Mm -hmm. high slit, but matching Mm -hmm. color tights. So it's not Mm -hmm. super revealing, but it's still kind of sexy. I was like, you know what? You go, girl. Go ahead. I think it's super cute. And in the very next episode, we see her in kind of like her more of a dress uniform, but the one with the super low cut V-neck. Yeah. And she she also looks cute in that. So, I mean, I can't really hate on Marina Sirtis. She's not wearing the mini skirt with the high ponytail anymore. So, hey. Yes. This is true. This is true. Um, but yeah, that is a little a little tidbit that I found for you all. Um, the ship arrives at Delta Runa 4 and finds the planet completely wiped away of life. And at first I was like, ooh, crystalline entity. Like, That's is exactly this- what I thought. Uh, because they said there was no life, not even like vegetation. They said there wasn't even water sources. And I was like, yes, what comes, what destroys the water? And the only thing I could think of was the crystalline entity which even took the bacteria out of the soil. Like yes. it destroyed all living things. Yes. Or the Borg perhaps, but I was like, okay, okay. I or love- the Borg, but I feel like the Borg don't ruin all life. Yeah. They, they take, assimilate. Like, they assimilate humanoid life forms, but they leave the trees and the plants and all the stuff. They leave all that stuff. They leave the animals. Um, You're right. Because they but- also assimilate technology too. So yes. if it were the Borg, they would... In my, if I were a Borg and attacking a planet, because you know these are these are scenarios I have to play out in my mind when I'm trying to fall sure. asleep, as sure. most people are ought to do. If I were a Borg attacking a planet, um, I would release like an EMP pulse, an electromagnetic pulse that just wipes out, like renders the technology inactive. But then you know, so they can't use weapons against you, and then you can like assimilate it and break it down, whatever. But yeah, you're right. Crystalline entity was more. The first thing I thought of too, because it's like there's nothing left at all. It's completely it's that dead planet wasteland situation. Yes, and so that's what I thought it was, and it wasn't. But I was like, oh man, was this another crystalline entity episode? Which one is this one? Yes. And, and then I saw them zoom and see the little square, the few little acres on the planet that are bright green and lush and so beautiful. You can see them from orbit, mm-hmm. and I was like, oh yeah, this episode. It's like, yes. It's yeah, it's so incongruous. And you're just like, what the what? What is going on there? We need an away team to beam down immediately. And I like how Troy is kind of like this close to the planet. I should be sensing something. Mm-hmm. I'm not sensing anything. And I was like, okay, so that's telling us that by the time that they received the distress call to now, which I think it's been three days. I think that's what they said in the, three in the days. opening. Correct. Yeah. Um, that within three days, all life of any kind has just been totally wiped away from the planet. But we've got this little patch of grass and something going on right here. This, this mystery is set up really nicely. Yes. Yes, it really is. I was like you, I didn't remember this episode off the top of my head until I saw the little square. And I was like, oh my gosh, which by the way, if you could see it from orbit, it's going to be a big fucking square. And when you get yeah. there, it's like a uh, 50 by 150, you know, mm-hmm. foot plot of land. I was like, oh, okay. But they yeah, it was, it was so a few verdant. acres. 
They did say it was a few acres, but oh, I do think true. if you could see it from orbit, it would be more than a few acres. I don't know. I'm not up on my orbital images, <laughs> but I feel like Google Maps Therese. has showed me that there should be some more. Gra- I don't know. Anyways. <laughs> well, so we have an away team of Commander Riker, Data, Jordy, Worf, and Dr. Crusher, and they beam down to the surface. And when they beam down, they... They magically appear in Malibu, which is where they filmed this, <laughs> where they filmed this on location, um, which Les Landau, who uh, directed this episode, said that they did all of the external shots in just one day of filming. And it was a real treat for the crew because all of their sets are indoor sets. So they got to be like mm. outside in the sunshine, get a little fresh air. Yeah. Um, and hey, you really can't go wrong filming in Malibu for crying out loud. So that was yeah. kind of cool. Um, and I've done a bunch of rock climbing out there and I was recognizing some of the plants and I was like, oh my God, those trees are all over like the climbing spot that I used to go to. And I was like, ooh, I kind of had a little like nerd moment. It was kind of cool. Um, but they, they beamed it onto this planet and they see this little spot of green grass and vegetation and this very, very like 1991 house. Um, Mm -hmm. And they meet super modern for the nineties. Very, yes. Very like nineties modern. They meet the occupants, which are these elderly humans, Kevin and Rashawn Uxbridge. I love the name Rashawn. Me too. Um, And they do not know how they survived this attack when the rest of the planet was wiped out. They're like, come on in and have some tea, come poke around. You know, Rishon is very, she's very much the hostess with the mostest. Mm-hmm. She's friendly. She's welcoming. She's open. She's warm. Kevin's like, get off my property. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> so what are you doing here? And they said, first of all, they set a trap for him. So Riker steps on this little trap and his stunt double goes swinging up in the air. Yeah. I don't even know if that was a trap for Riker. That to me felt like some old school, like, I mean, not a bear trap because it wouldn't trap a bear, but it felt like an old school, like, those traps you see in the movies where people put that out in the jungle to like catch yes. rabbits or whatever. Yeah. Um, a snare. I, yeah. Yeah. Some, some really weird makeshift DIY trap for an animal. Although there's no life on this planet. Big enough, so I'm big not- enough to be a human and a human sized animal. Cause they could pick up Riker, like no problem, but I'm sure he put that down or they had that trap down before they were at the colony was attacked. I'm assuming. Yeah. Cause- still, still weird. I'm not sure yeah. the point of that trap, but. It right? did set it up nicely to see the people come out and, you know, see that it's like, you know, are, are they hostile? Are they not? And so it was just kind of like a campy, fun little moment, but didn't make a whole lot of sense to have that trap at all. What I liked when they landed was the first thing Riker did was he asked Jordy to take a look through his super eyes. Girl, I knew Sharice. When I saw that, I was like, I'm just going to wait for Sharice to mention this because yes. I knew you were going to mention that. I was like, that is so cool. I mean. That they was all really have freaking cool. tricorders out. And the first thing he says is, Jordy, what do you see? And he's like, yes. mm, no thermal images that are strange and blah, blah, blah. And there's, you know, whatever going Standard on. Standard like building it all material. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he goes, okay, Worf, what do you see? And Worf's kind of going do with the tricorder. And he's like, mm-hmm. ah, there's one person at the far side of the house. And he can kind of see the internal structures. Um, and then Jordy can somehow see the snare before Riker steps on it. Because he's like, no, Riker, wait. You know, or he mm-hmm. doesn't say Riker. He says Commander, whatever. Something, but, um, yeah, yeah. And then he gets caught up in the snare. And I was like, "How did he see that?" I'm just yes. forever fascinated by this well, visor. Was, yes, that visor is so effing cool. But also, I did not know tricorders could detect locations of people. I mean, the me- mm-hmm. I want first of all, I want a medical tricorder because I want the little like part that detaches the little probe mm-hmm. that you wave in front of people and lights up. That's mm-hmm. what I want. Who Santa, doesn't? if you're if you're listening, that's what I want for Christmas. But Santa, if you're listening, I would like Aquaman for Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) 
but I'll I mean, settle for a medical tricorder. <laughs> I mean, if you're too busy, I guess a medical tricorder will do. But, <laughs> um, but I was like, you could detect locate like north side, west side. I was like, that's I've never seen that before. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's kind of cool. Um, so they yes, can. It's so cool, and they can detect like, oh, this tunnel continues past here, or no, it's a mm-hmm. dead end through this wall, and you're like, okay. What exactly is because this technology? Future. Because future. Yeah. That's why. Yeah. Um, very cool. Yeah. So Riker gets snared in this very cool slash campy snare trap. And Kevin and Rashawn rush out. Yes. And Riker says, do you mind if we look around inside? And to be fair, I'm a little bit like Kevin where I'm like, um, yes. Why? But like, why, what do you think you're going to find in there is my question. Mm-hmm. Um, and Riker is very straightforward, but also diplomatic. He's like, this just, we just have some questions because the entire planet has been wiped of all life three days ago. And we're curious as to how or why you were the only survivors. And also in this like perfectly square plot of land, it's like a little perfect grid. You would think Mm -hmm. if like a little patch of land, like survives an attack, it'd be kind of this like ragtag, like amorphous shape, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as, as the away team's looking around the house, Rishon is being very kind and she allows Data to pick up this little music box and it's playing a little waltz and there's a little like man and ballerina kind of dancing in the music box. And simultaneously aboard the Enterprise, Counselor Troy starts hearing the same waltz music in her mind and is like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I was immediately like, oh no. Uh-oh. Right. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> this is not good. Not you know, good. something bad's going to happen when her telepathic powers are beyond her control. I mean, she's mm-hmm. just minding her own business. And all of a sudden you can hear the music as loudly inside of Troy's mind as Data can hear it standing one inch away from the music box. Mm-hmm. And they're all the way down on the planet. And we just we just learned her powers could barely detect the two humans on the planet from space. So if she's hearing this music really loud, this is not her own doing and nothing good can come of this. No, absolutely not. Um, so they, the away team beams back and they have a meeting in the observation lounge and they're trying to sort of, they're kind of bouncing ideas, which I thought was really fair. Like, did they help the attackers in exchange mm-hmm. for their lives? Like, that's my first thought where it's like you provided information in exchange for your life, which is very risky because once they get the information they need, they could just as easily kill you as anybody else. Cause why not? Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. So they're like, what are the other possibilities? But it's super and- fishy and they refuse to leave the planet. Riker was yes. immediately like, okay, go ahead and pack a bag. We'll take you back to our ship. And they're just like, no, why, why would we pack a bag? Why would we go to your ship? Like, that's not going to happen. And they're like, well, because your entire planet has been devastated. You don't even have water sources. You don't have, they have the little patch of land that has grass on it, but they don't have um, crops. They don't have food. Mm-hmm. They just have whatever they have in their house. And so it's yes. like, of course you're going to leave. You need to, you need to be able to be sustained. And Kevin's very yes. adamant about, no, we have everything we need here. So that's another fishy thing is did they help the enemy in exchange for their lives or something? And also why are they so hesitant to leave when clearly they cannot survive on their own for more than, I think they said a couple years without yeah. some, some, cause they don't have a ship to leave the planet. But they or did say, I think it was Jordy who did say, you know, they have enough supplies to last several years food wise, but like the water table has been tainted 
because of the attack on the planet. So it's like, you guys yeah. don't have clean water. So really you're not going to last very long at all. And yes, Kevin is like, we're not leaving at all. And poor Rashawn is just like, I'm scared. Like, I, please stop. You're scaring me. You know, which mm-hmm. I, I, Hey, I felt that girl. I felt it. I was like, Oh, I would be frightened as well. Um, and so they have this meeting in the observation lounge and they're trying to bounce these ideas around. And I love that Riker is so in tune with Deanna. And I'm like, just marry her already for crying out loud because she's <laughs> suffering silently with this fucking waltz music in her mind. And Riker is not paying the least bit of attention to the meeting. He's sitting mm-hmm. next to Deanna and just staring at her and just mm-hmm. watching her with concern as she's kind of like squirming. But this is one of those things where when you know someone really well, you know when they're hurting and no one mm-hmm. else can know. I, that is something I have found in, in my, in my relationship with my marriage, I can, I can immediately tell if my husband is not feeling great, but mm-hmm. nobody else can tell the difference. And I can take a one second look at him and be like, what's wrong immediately. Right. And like, mm-hmm. I feel that with like Riker and Troy, where she's not obviously suffering. Everybody else is just doing their meeting and he is so in tune with her. And I was like, Oh God, I love that about them. Um, and also he knows her well enough to know. I mean, I'll, I'll give this to him. I don't know if this is true, but let's just say he knows her well enough to know that she also doesn't want to be put on the spot. She doesn't yes. want him to be like, Hey, Troy, are you okay? You look like you're hurting. Yes. Right. So he doesn't yes. say anything because, yep. and she, you know, a few minutes later gets up and just excuses herself because she mm-hmm. doesn't want anybody to know that she can't control what's going on in her own mind. So there's also that piece of like really respecting her privacy and yes. not calling her out, even though he clearly sees what's going on. Yes, I'm certain that had she not excused herself and just stuck it out through the meeting, he would have pulled her aside privately afterwards and been like, clearly you're not okay. Tell me what's mm-hmm. going on, right? Like, you exactly. know, you would have done that. Yeah. So, so she ends up standing up and she's like, I'm so sorry. I'm not feeling well. I have to go. And you could just hear this music like, ding ling ling you know, going around in her mind. And I was like, Jesus, that would be so torturous. Um, and the good captain, as he is, comes to check on her. And at first she's like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. And he's like, all right, I may not have your like telepathic abilities, but I can tell Mm -hmm. when someone is in pain. And I love that she just comes clean so quickly. I hate it. Hate it when people are not okay and pretend that they are okay. Mm -hmm. And you're like, just let us know what's going on. Just just tell me what's going on so we can find some help for you. Okay. Like stop trying to like, you know, and this is something not to paint with too broad a paintbrush, but this is something I think men do more than women because men have been unfortunately really conditioned in our mm-hmm. current society to just that be they're like, not allowed to have emotions and yes. less anger or yes. hunger, yes. as my nephew put it. <laughs> yeah. Hunger or anger or happiness. And that's it. You don't get mm-hmm. anything else. So to yeah. admit pain, to admit worry or fear or anything is like seen as unmanly, which is just the stupidest thing I've ever heard of in my life. But yeah, so I love that she comes clean. I was like, thank you, Troy. Like I really needed her to do that. Um, yeah. And, and you just, just feel like, so All right, bad for you. her. Right. Yeah. Like she's, she's losing it before he um, rings her little doorbell. She's just yep. losing it in her room. And she's like, stop, stop, stop. And she's falling apart and she's crying and she's just in so much pain. And then as soon as she hears the doorbell, she's brushing her hair. Everything's good. Everything's fine. And it's just like, how long can you keep this up? And also why? Like, why Mm -hmm. are you keeping it up? And she was doing it, she said, because she was embarrassed. She didn't want anyone to know that she was struggling because she didn't understand why she was struggling. And she felt like she should be able to control it on her own. But like the only person who feels any kind of way about that is her. 
There's nothing mm-hmm. to be embarrassed about. Nobody else is going, wow, Troy, really? Really? Yeah. You can't control the music in your head? Really? No, everybody's <laughs> concerned about her. So yeah. she was embarrassed for no reason. People wanted to help. Yes. And and this is this is a like paranormal activity, right? You've got like some music that just started very suddenly when the away team was down on the planet, which thankfully she had the cognizance to like pick up on that detail and relay it to the captain. Yeah. Cause that was very important. Mm-hmm. Um, but she also, it, it's, it's like hard to explain where she's like, it's not just like an earworm, which is a song yeah. that just gets stuck in your head. Like it's worse than that. And I love how in this instance, if this were any other movie or TV show, people would just write her off. Until mm-hmm. it was like way too late and then be like, whoops, we should have picked up on that. And I love that the Enterprise crew is like, music that won't go away, okay, noted, and we're going to start working towards like a solution. Um, mm-hmm. Where every every movie with paranormal activity that can't be explained needs an ally. Otherwise, you're just on your own. And mm-hmm. I love that the entire ship was her ally. They were like, yeah. Dr. Crusher was like, this is everything I can do. You know, I'm jumping ahead mm-hmm. a little bit, but it's great that she's an ally. Um, while this is happening, though, Sharice, a red alert suddenly goes off. This gigantic unidentified ship comes into orbit. They don't respond to hails. They fire mm-hmm. off this like low dose of electronic pulse of some like some kind. And the Enterprise fires a warning shot and the pursuit is on. And the and ship, the- by the way, is five times the size of the Enterprise, which we all know the Enterprise is freaking huge. It's humongous. So- I don't even know. I mean, is that as big as a cube? I'm not even sure. But five times bigger than the Enterprise Mm -hmm. is huge. It's got some massive, massive firepower. And all it does is give them a little poke. It basically starts playing tag with the Enterprise. Yep. Gives them a little poke and then starts running. And then the Enterprise starts chasing them. And Picard's like, "Mm, this seems kind of like a game because no matter how fast the ship is going, it's going just a hair faster yes. <laughs> than the Enterprise so that the Enterprise stays engaged. It's not just like outpacing it to the point where the Enterprise gives up, but it's also not letting itself be caught, right? Because yes. as, as Wesley increases, this warship is matching point for point, speed for speed, however fast the ship is going. And mm-hmm. at one point, Jordy's like, I can give you warp nine point something, 9.64 in 15 seconds or something like that. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. And so can the ship, the warship is doing exactly the same thing. Yeah. It's not even breaking a sweat and it is matching their speed and trajectory perfectly. So no matter how fast you go, you can just never catch. It's like playing tag with that really annoying kid. That's just a little faster than you, you know, or just as fast as you, but is like a hundred feet ahead. So no matter where you go or how fast you run, they're always a hundred feet ahead of you. It's like trying to get to the end of the rainbow. That's what they're doing right now. Yes. And the the rainbow doesn't end. (laughs) sorry i had to say that would be a good that would be a good spot for a sound effect um so then picard's like i get the feeling that we're being toyed with we need to turn back and they're like turn back what are you talking about yeah there's some unfinished business on that planet something fishy is going on picard's starting to piece together the music and troy and these survivors and now this warship that was gone but now it's back Yep. And you've got Worf, who before was all boasting about there's no enemies here. I've checked everywhere. I'm super thorough. I'll stick my reputation on it. And then he's just like, oh, I don't I, I don't know where they came from. I They weren't here a minute. You know, you're just like, oh, maybe don't stick your reputation so quickly. In oh, the no, future. Luckily, <laughs> luckily, because Picard is just such a smart and may I throw out sexy, smart, sexy man. <laughs> That's totally pointless to the episode, but I, we just have to recognize it yeah. um, because mm-hmm. he is so intelligent though. He's immediately like, okay, the minute that the away team was down, Troy started hearing this waltz music mm-hmm. at no point 
did they talk about it with data? Because I wish they had, because data would have been like, that's interesting. I was looking at a music box that had music box that had this waltz music and they would have been able to tie it together a little faster. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's like, huh? So she's now hearing this music. It's torturing her. Um, this plot of land seems to be completely untouched among the devastation. Uh, Kevin is very reluctant to talk to us. The ship is kind of playing cat and mouse with us, but they can destroy us with a thought. We really need to go back and talk to them. And I love that he doesn't blame Worf at all. Cause he's like, mm-hmm. you know what, Worf? I'm sure there was no ship here. So mm-hmm. I'm sure your sensors sweep was complete because mm-hmm. th- mm, this is just a little fishy. Um, yeah, so, this is like a supernatural ship appearing. So you couldn't have yes. picked it up on your, on your sensors. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, and so Captain Picard and Worf are like, let's go pay them a, a little visit. Yes. And, and this is when the game turns, right? This is when yes. Picard's like, you want to play with us? We can play with you. Yes. And I was just like, oh, this is why I love Picard. I yes. Love little, oh, my God. This little move here. And I was kind of yes. like. Yes. <laughs> when they're sitting in the living room and having tea yet again with, with another super cool tea set, by the mm-hmm, way, I kind of mm-hmm. want that tea set. Like, it don't think so cool. I didn't pick up on that. I did yeah. do a search on it. I couldn't find it Ugh. anywhere. I know. I know. Okay. Well, anyways, maybe one of our <laughs> listeners will make what make some for us, but yeah, when, when they're sitting sipping tea and Rashawn's just like, Oh, so how do you like it? Mr. Worf? And he's like, good tea, nice house. I just thought, man, why didn't you bring data? He's already been the two time wingman, third time's a charm. Mm-hmm. Maybe mm-hmm. he could have, you know, dusted off some of his old anecdotes <laughs> to share in this awkward moment. <laughs> this would have been a perfect time. By the way, Worf, don't think I didn't notice you sticking your pinky out while you were drinking tea, sir. Don't <laughs> think I didn't notice that. Which, by the way, is an incorrect trope. One is not supposed to do that. <laughs> I should know. I've done all the deep dives on all the tea things because I'm obsessed with tea and Downton Abbey. And then there's the tie-in with Enterprise. So I'm like, I'm all over it. You do not stick out your pinky. That's Maybe the, it's that's- different in the 24th century. <laughs> not (laughs) Um, but yeah data would have been perfect they already know data i mean i guess Worf was down there before too but so and what a diplomat picard is because he shows up with a replicator as a gift for kevin and rashawn he's like i have something for you that you might need since you're planning to stay thus having them let their guard down a little bit like cool this guy's not going to force us to leave he's even Mm -hmm. bringing us something to kind of help us survive um and you know they, they, they are not getting anywhere though. They're really not getting any answers. Picard is probing and Kevin is like, so when can you guys leave? You've gotten all the information we want from you. You know, he's sort of gentle at first where he's like, so why do you want to poke around my house? You know, what, you know, we've already answered all the questions you have. And at this point he's like, so I'm eager for you to leave. Like, let us know when you plan to leave. The cards are starting to fall a bit where it's like, Kevin really wants you to go. And mm-hmm. at this point, Troy is just being tortured by this music. It's getting louder and louder. It's playing on a constant loop. She can't think of anything or function without this music like blasting in her brain, which mm-hmm. feels like feels like they took this out of like the torture 101 playbook. I feel I I don't know. I mean, based mm-hmm. on like m- movies I've seen, this feels right. like the worst right. thing. Yeah. Right. Which which we later find out was not intentional. Like nobody was trying to hurt Troy. It's just kind of became this big ricochet in her mind um, mm-hmm. because the the power against her was so strong. But yeah, so she's writhing in pain. And even when 
Beverly puts her in a coma. She still can hear the music, which is just like, dang, there's nothing more we could do besides like kill her, you know, to make this pain stop. And that has got to suck. So Picard is kind of playing this game and realizing that um, he's he's asking questions of Kevin. He's asking questions of Rashawn and trying to figure out what's going on with the two. And he kind of quickly unravels the mystery that the key is actually Kevin because Rashawn seems kind of like, uh, you like, she's scared of the ship. She doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. Like Kevin's just very sure of like, we're going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. There's nothing to worry about. Like everything's Please safe. leave. Yeah. Just yeah. Leave and so, yeah. So then Picard very expertly is like, okay, well, you know what? I think we're going to need to stay in orbit indefinitely. The enterprise is just going to need to stay and look over you guys forever because we don't know when that ship could be back. It could come back and try to hurt you. And we just need to protect you. So the only way we would leave is if you guys or no, we, we will not leave as long as you guys are alive. Mm-hmm. And he just kind of drops that little gem and then is like, okay, yes. we'll be on our way. And part of me, part of me was like, man, that's a boss move. Of course. The other part of me was getting a little bit of flashbacks to last week's episode when data was trying to get the people off the planet when the Shelly yes. were coming. Yeah. And I was like, please leave. And they're like, no, we can fight. Please leave. You know? Yeah. And so I felt a little bit of that, like anxiety of like, you're trying to force people to leave who don't want to leave and they just rather die. But yeah. at the same time, I was like, but in this case, it's completely different because these people have something to do with that ship coming. Yes. And he, and he's very aware that they're not going to actually die. Like, or he's not very aware, but he's like 98% sure that they're probably going to be safe. They're probably not in danger. They're probably in communication with this ship. And he says it later that there, there's something going on between them. Exactly. So that's the difference here is that they're not really helpless victims. They're somehow involved. And this is his plan to figure out how. Exactly. So between, so Picard does make two visits to Kevin and Rishon. And after that first visit with the replicate, you know, when he brings the replicator, the warship comes back looking bigger and meaner than before. And then absolutely zaps the shit out of their shields with like Mm -hmm. 400 gigawatts of like electrical, like power or whatever. Pretty much one shot before one shot didn't even scratch their paint job. And yeah. now one shot took out all of their shields. Yes. <laughs> and you're like, so oh, that's when he's like, listen, I'm going to go back down to the planet because I'm starting to sense that like Kevin and Rashawn or Kevin alone has something to do with this ship, but more Kevin. Yeah. Cause you're right. Rashawn is just like, I'm scared, Kevin. What, what should we do? You know, she seems mm-hmm. much, much less in the loop. Um, then even Kevin Picard seems is very cool. Like he's not afraid of anything at all. We're and fine. So why we are you not a- We're fine. We're fine. We're going to be fine. Ex- hmm. Exactly. So he visits them again and he does say, listen, that warship came back. Um, it did a lot of damage to us, to our ship and our shields and whatever, but we have a sworn duty to protect you as human Federation citizens. So we're not leaving orbit for as long as you live. And I love that. You're right. He dropped that morsel for them. And Riker was like, you know, I don't want you going down to the planet because, you know, that worship could come back. And he goes, no, I think they think that they scared us away because they did like take off and leave the planet for an hour and then kind of circled Mm -hmm. back. And he's Mm -hmm. like, I think that the minute I get back aboard the ship, that unidentified craft will appear again. And it did. And so it, it arrives and Captain Picard purposely does nothing, which is oh, such a boss move where he's like calm, mm-hmm. cool, collected. This is like peak Captain Picard badassery right here. Mm-hmm. He doesn't, he does nothing. He lets the ship fire upon the Uxbridge home and completely destroys it. There are no survivors. And then Picard and Picard has war fire one photon torpedo, which completely destroys the alien ship. Mm-hmm. And I love it when Picard plays out his hunches. I love it because he's like, let's just 
see what happens, you know? And in that moment, when he, when he destroys the entire warship with one photon torpedo, right by the way, people can't even destroy a shuttlecraft. One photon torpedo can't do Mm -hmm. anything. It can maybe knock out a headlight. Like that's the most (laughs) that it can do. It destroys the entire warship. And he turns to Riker and he's just like, so Riker, what's our reason for staying in orbit? And he's like, well, none, sir, because the people we were protecting are dead. The warship is gone. So we don't have to worry about it. There's no reason for us to stay here. And he's like, "Mm -hmm, isn't that convenient? Go ahead and stay in orbit (laughs) anyways. Yep. And just look at the planet. And they're like, why? And he's like, "Mm, just trust me. You know, and this is being very mysterious because he's not sure if he's right, but he's pretty sure he's right. Yeah. He's not ready to tell his theory to his crew. Right. Yeah. I wish he would have informed them a little bit more because, you know, this was, by the way, this was some of the best Riker battle face episode we've seen yet. He looks Mm -hmm. concerned. He looks steely fire photon torpedoes. Right. He's just very the Riker in power that like. Ugh, we just love so much. This is so much. So I wish he would have maybe told his hunch to some of his senior crews to be like, you know, I have a feeling. Let's see how this plays out. Because when Riker is getting the steely face mm-hmm. to fire, he's like, actually, no, hold off. And then we get Worf and Riker puzzled face. We And we've got Worf saying, should we raise shields? Should we arm our weapons? Should we nope. do evasive Nothing. maneuvers? Nothing. Do nothing. Should we do something? And then he's like, no, no, we're good. Well, we're good. Yeah. So I do wish he would have told them also, but I think it was for the viewer's benefit because we're just like, what's going to happen? Yeah. But for the crew, you're like, dude, you should have told them because he could have told them in a separate room where the viewers didn't see, right? Where he's like, I have a theory. And it just shows them walking into the observation Mm -hmm. lounge and shows them walking back out, right? They could have done it like that where they were informed, but we don't know. Yes. You Um, are right about that. I mean, this was, I think you're absolutely right. It was for the viewers because. As a viewer who has seen this episode to the end multiple times, and I know the ending, I still was like, wait, I don't remember how we arrive mm-hmm. at this point. Like, this hunch is so good. Like, and as a viewer, we now know, like, something is completely wrong here. There mm-hmm. is some involvement. It's no longer a question of if there's involvement. It's a question of how, mm-hmm. but not if anymore. So out of the blue and to Picard's complete, like, satisfaction the uxbridge home is back along with its landscaping it's exactly everything as it was when exactly and he's like that mm. perfect little square of grass mm-hmm. and he's like listen i've had enough we are going to get a site-to-site transport and just beam kevin and rishan directly onto the bridge and we're going to get to the fucking bottom of this right now and yep. he is such the principal of the school i love it i was so mm-hmm. here i was like yes 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 and here's a rare time when you hear data like disobeying a direct order a direct command mm-hmm. he goes um but sir won't they protest being brought here involuntarily like isn't that a kind of a no-no aren't we not supposed to just snatch people from their homes and put yep. them on the bridge you know he's like at and this point data like, i've had enough yeah exactly this is picard's enough is enough face which i love it when he gets to that moment he's just like that's it we're unraveling the mystery right now yes like, yeah come on homes let's do it yes so here's where we have this like what I call the moment of devastation in the, it's like the pre moment of devastation in the episode, Mm -hmm. because he now knows that the house can be destroyed and recreated on a whim. And he's like, I don't think that Rishon has anything to do with this. I think this is all you, Kevin. And of course, Rishon is like, Kevin, what is he talking about? What is he talking about? And Picard is so delicate with Rishon. Mm -hmm. And I just thought what masterful acting on Sir Patrick Stewart's 
behalf that he Mm -hmm. can be so stern with Kevin and then give this like devastating news to Rashawn. Yeah. And he says, I can touch you. I can even smell your perfume. I can hear you, but you are not real. And the minute he says that she disappears into like nothingness. And then Kevin is like, how did you find out? And he's like, because, because man, like you were suspicious AF, like from the beginning mm-hmm. and Kevin disappears, but I love that Jordy can still see him with his visor. And he goes, he's in the turbo lift. And Picard is like, leave him alone. Let him go. Clear all the paths. He, he is, Kevin did relate to us early in the episode that he refused to fight the attackers because he is a person of conscience. He's a conscientious objector to any mm-hmm. violence. So Picard is not worried because he's like, that he's he, going to do anything. And yeah, he also says he, he could have destroyed anyone. us with he could have destroyed us with a thought. If he was going to destroy us, he could have done it a billion times by now. Yeah. And what I really think he's doing because he's a person of conscience is he's got someone to help because he dropped a couple times like we have someone suffering. Someone yes. who is suffering telepathically. <clears throat> yeah. You know, Kevin, so nudge Kevin, nudge. Yeah, exactly. So that Kevin could be like, "Oops." And he was like, "You know what? I don't think we have anything to fear from him. And if he's going to leave the ship, we can't stop him, but before he leaves, he's got somebody to help." I think he's going to be helping Troy. And he was spot on when he comes into Troy's quarters, Kevin's there with his hand over her mind, taking all the music away and taking all her pain away and just feeling so remorseful because he didn't want to hurt anybody. And he was just trying to mask her abilities because he could sense that she could sense his true identity. Yes. And so that was him putting up a a wall, but his wall was too strong because his power is so strong. Mm-hmm. which was, oh, what an interesting alien. This is got to be know, one of my right? favorite aliens, I think. Me too. And I, I was like, this is like the cue because he's mm-hmm. omnipotent and immortal, but not an asshole. Like, it, yeah. so here's here was the well, big reveal. And I tell you what, I was in tears over, I was in tears watching this, um, having already seen it many times over the years. He's not actually human. Um, he's a Dowd, an immortal being capable of like creating false surroundings. So he can kind of create matter. He's basically like a holodeck. He can create matter out of nothing. Um, mm-hmm. he, while visiting earth, he fell in love with Rashawn and they spent their entire marriage together with him living as a human pretending to be human. And this is what broke my heart. Rashawn never knew that he was Dowd. Like she thought he was human. Mm-hmm just like her, their entire like 50 plus year marriage. He's a creature mm-hmm. of conscience and would not kill. So he did not join the fight against the Husnock, who were the alien race that attacked the colony. He tried to do that, like phantom unidentified craft to scare them yeah. away thing. Mm-hmm. And it just made them, which the Husnock sound very nasty. they just have this like cruel intelligence and they're just pure violence. And mm-hmm. it just made them like more angry and more violent. And Rishan joined the fight and was killed. And this got me because Kevin was breaking as he was telling Mm -hmm. captain about this. When Kevin found her broken body, his grief spilled over and he just lost his mind. And with a thought, he destroyed the Hoosnack and Picard was like, damn. And then Kevin went further. He's like, no, you don't understand the scope of my crime. I -hmm. killed all Hoosnack everywhere. 50 billion wiped to extinction just with my thought. And I, oh my God, I just like, I don't even have a snarky thing to say about that. I was like in Mm -hmm. tears. I'm nearly in tears. And I'm thinking about like, it's just the pain with which he describes like the loss of Rashawn and then the remorse of like wiping out an entire race Mm -hmm. out of rage was just so hard for me to watch. I, I don't know about you, but I was like, 
totally tearing up. It was so difficult. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an, it was just a heartbreaking scene and reveal. And then to have him just say, that's what I didn't want you to find out. Yeah. I didn't want you to, I think, you know, I didn't care if you thought I was a traitor or whatever else, like who cares about that. I just didn't want you to know that I let my power get out of my control and destroyed an entire race of beings and like erase them from history. Um, I didn't want you to know that because he's so against violence. Like, I feel mm-hmm. this is the kind of guy who like won't kill a butterfly kind of a thing, yes. you know, yes. I mean, who kills a butterfly monsters, but he won't kill like a spider, <laughs> <laughs> which everybody wants those things dead. So he won't kill a spider. Right. And for him to like kill on such a massive scale mm-hmm. has got to just be so, so torturous for him yes. emotionally and mentally. Yes. I mean, and of course it's bad for the victims, but they're all gone. So there's none of them to be sad, mm-hmm. but like. What an awful thing. And then him just saying, yes, we lost all these colonists, a thousand something people or 11,000 people. 11,000. Yeah. But compared to like billions, is that a fair, if we're just talking math, is that okay? That's not equitable. Yeah. Everybody's just kind of staring like, oh, what do you say? You know, and and Picard's just, I mean, he puts it beautifully. He's just like, we're not qualified to be your judge and we have no law that fits your crime. The scale. Yeah. The scale of your, there is, I mean, there's genocidal law, you know, laws against genocide, obviously, but like, this is, this is, you created a mass extinction. Husnak everywhere in the universe were wiped out with your thought over the loss, like of this beautiful love that you had. It just, it made me extremely sad. Um, and, and also talking about laws in general, what laws are they even talking about? Do they mean federation laws? Like, yeah, that's true. What laws could they, and even if it was like, okay, you're a citizen of the Federation, so you have to agree to to our laws or something, what could you possibly do to a being that could destroy everything with a thought? What kind of a prison? It's exactly like a Q. Yeah. You can't 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 bring a Q to account. Only other Qs can bring a Q to account. Yeah. So only other Dowd could hold a Dowd to account. There's nothing they could do. And this is not like the skin of evil where Armis was just this awful you know, psycho serial killer yeah, and just loved it. This is different, right? He is not a threat. I mean, he was a threat, but that was a very singular instance in his entire existence. Yes. He's, he's not mortal existence. Yeah. He's not someone who plans to do something like this again. So exactly. There's nothing we can do. Even if we want to, there's nothing we can do. You're free to return to the surface and make Rashawn live again. Um, and I just thought that was so, sweet and appropriate too. Cause it's like, wow, you really did do one of the most awful things in the universe Mm -hmm. in your, in your grief, but truly you're right. There's no law that can hold this man in any way, but also there's nothing that anyone could do to him that will be worse than what he is doing to himself in his regret. You know what I mean? Like his regret is really the worst punishment he could have. And he's going to have to live with that forever because he can't die. It was so sad. So the epilogue, you know, as the ship breaks orbit and heads to Starbase 133, Picard does have this lovely, beautifully written epilogue that says they're leaving behind a being of extraordinary power and conscience. He isn't sure if Kevin is to be praised or condemned only that he should be left alone. I was like, oh yeah, he just, they need to put up like quarantine buoys around the, around the planet and be like, just don't come onto this planet. Let let just yeah. let him live forever with Rashawn, Rashawn's you know recreation. Yeah, and just leave them alone. 
I mean, really, I think that this is Kevin's grieving period. I mean, he just lost his wife within the past three days. Mm-hmm. Like this is very, very fresh. Um, but at some point he will have grieved and he will move on and he will change his disguise and leave the planet and keep going on with his life. Yeah. But, I mean, he just lost the love of his life of 50 something years, three days ago. So it's still super fresh. And I think if any of us, well, I can't speak for everyone, but I can speak for me having lost people that I deeply love. If I could have brought them back like a doubt, I would have. Uh, 100%. I, I would have. Absolutely. Why? 100%. Yeah. Why live with the, why live without the love of your life when you don't have to? And I understand like the moral you know, implications that's like, yeah, it's not natural. Like it's natural for us to have like a horrible grieving period. And then you kind of, you know, learn to live again without them. But if you have that power, like, wouldn't you bring them back? I mean, I, I would do so without a thought, without mm-hmm. a thought I'd bring them back. And maybe that makes me a bad person. I don't know, but I don't care. <laughs> that's well, just what I would do. Well, see, th- my thing is he brought her back, but not really. It wasn't like he reanimated her body, mm-hmm. which we're going to see in a later episode of TNG, which is one of my mm-hmm. favorite episodes. But it's not like he reanimated her body. It wasn't creepy like that. He just brought back her, her like essence. Yes. In kind of that holodeck slash replicator form. Yep. So he brought her back the same way we do when someone we love dies and we think of them, we bring them back in our memories mm-hmm. and we relive those emotional experiences. It's the same thing, except for other people could also see her and interact with her. Yeah. So that to me feels different from like. I won't let you die and I'm bringing you back from the grave and you're going to be by like, you know what I mean? Like holding yes. on to that person. It feels yes. a little different to me, but maybe it's the same. That's true. I mean, I could see that, but I, yeah, I mean, I do think that I think you're right. Um, It's not the same as like reanimating her body, but yeah, he does bring her back and they just continue to live happily ever after on this little planet. And he could probably, you know, listen, if I were, if I were Kevin and was allowed to live alone with Rashawn and just be left alone, um, I would probably bring a little more greenery to the planet, <laughs> not just live on he this. He could bring like, all the colonists back. He yeah, he could bring them all. Yeah, he could do anything he wants. So I had a couple of final thoughts, and I wanted to leave this bit of trivia to the end um, because when I read this, this also hit me really hard, which is part of what makes me so sad about this episode, is that Kevin Uxbridge was played by an actor, John Anderson, who initially turned down the role because he lost his own wife only a year before appearing in The Survivors. So Mm -hmm. he was still grieving for the loss of his wife. And I don't know the circumstances of her passing, um, but he he initially turned on the role and then was um, convinced to come and do it. So when he was kind of crying to Picard about, you know, when he saw her broken body and lost his Mm -hmm. mind, like that was really John Anderson, like breaking in grief. And it made me so sad to see that. Um, Yeah. You know, normally I'm so like snarky (laughs) during our episodes, but I don't have anything bad to say about this episode. It was beautiful. And, and the writer said that this wasn't their best work and I totally disagree. It was hard to watch for all the best reasons. It was tragic and moving and beautiful and also puzzling for us. And then we get Mm -hmm. this like delicate reveal. I just, Mm -hmm. I love this episode. I, I honestly would put it in my top 10. Yeah. I think this episode, I think this episode was great. We had action, we had mystery. We had romance. We had a love story. We, ha- I mean, I think this episode was great. It was really the good. B plot had everything to do with the A plot again, yeah. like season three mm-hmm. coming it's in strong. Cohesive. Yeah. Yes. There isn't, yeah, there isn't some like stupid ass C plot that's going to show up like in, in the last two seconds, like in manhunt. That was so dumb. Um, yeah. So that, that's where our episode ends. They're sailing off to Starbase 133 and um, they're going to, revisit us next week in season three, episode four, who watches the watchers. Um, 
Sharice, I love hanging out with you. I love that we have listeners that hang out with us. Like this is so, this is wonderful. This is the best part of my week. It really is. Same. (laughs) Yes. So we'll see you guys next week. Bye everybody. Bye. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at thetngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.